Real Talk USA. It's my house, come on, turn it up. The hour where the U.S. mission to the African Union comes to you through AfroFM 105.3 to highlight the United States partnership in Africa. Current issues will be discussed. Guests will engage on a variety of topics ranging from politics to jazz. Co-hosted by AfroFM and Chris Mead of USAU, the show will air every Thursday from 5 to 6 p.m. Feel free to participate by sending messages to the USAU social media sites www.usau.usmission.gov or www.facebook.com forward slash USAU and follow USAU on twitter.com forward slash USAU Real Talk USA Welcome to my It's my house <laughs> Good evening, everyone, uh, and welcome to yet another segment of Real Talk USA. This is your host for this evening, Mazgabwata Dessa, and I am here with Regine Romain. Very good. That is correct. <laughs> yes. Thank you so very much, Ms. Romain, for being on Real Talk USA, for, for, for agreeing to be with us uh, on this show. And uh, today we have a very interesting topic that we want to talk about. Uh, but before we start getting into, into the, uh, the topic of the day, if you can say a little bit about yourself, tell us a little bit about uh, where you're from, uh, what you do. Sure. Well, first, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the invitation. It's an honor. Um, my name is Regine Gomez, and I am the daughter of Haitian immigrants uh, in the United States. Uh, my family immigrated to the United States in the 1960s, and uh, I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area, um, in the suburbs, and um, went to Bowie State University which was really important for me. It was really important for me. I, I made the choice to attend a historically black college uh, and university because my family being Haitian immigrants, there was a connection but also a disconnection to the African-American experience. Mm -hmm. And I found that um, my family spoke Creole and spoke French and, of course, English, but I found that there was this place where politically and socially there was a division. And I wanted to learn a little bit more about the African-American experience. I wanted to learn more about the history. And, and so I went to Bowie State University and there I became an international studies, communications, anthropology major. My work is grounded in exploring the African diaspora. I'm an artist, educator, and visual anthropologist. And um, from my work at Bowie State University, I was able to, to get a grant, a research grant, and visit Africa for the first time. And that was wonderful. That was in 1994, mm -hmm. and I had a chance to visit Ghana. Okay. And, and then from there, just, of course, traveling all over uh, the world. But it was as a student that I was introduced to the work of Zora Neale Hurston. Okay. And Zora, Zora Neale Hurston uh, was an African-American folklorist and anthropologist um, and her work celebrated the black experience, celebrated it in the, in the way that we were. She wasn't trying to dress us up and make us other than what we were, mm -hmm. um, meaning that often an experience of enslaved people and their descendants, there's a space in which assimilation is key for success. Yeah. And so her work looked at who we were um, 
striving to be outside of that context, right? So outside of trying to assimilate into the dominant culture, who were we when we were our, amongst ourselves? What were the stories that we told? What were our beliefs? Why did we still carry these spiritual uh, and religious traditions? And how did they survive? And so she became like my spiritual godmother, right? <laughs> and, uh, and she's definitely a luminary. And I said, okay, I want to be an anthropologist. And it was when I was in college that I learned a story that had been told to me by my aunt, uh, Tante Gozmari, who was, in my family, she would be considered a samba. Okay. A samba is a storyteller. Okay. And she was the one who told so many stories about Haiti's independence, Haiti's fight um, against the, you know, the French, the British, the Spaniards, um, against uh, American imperialism. Um, very much, very proud um, uh, of her heritage, and very much um, uh, engaged in keeping the tradition going. And so she had told me the story of Boakayema, which was a ceremony that took place. Um, ceremony and Congress that took place before the commencement of uh, the, the fight for independence, right? So that was a 14-year battle from that date, which was August 14th, 1791, to January 1st, 1804. That was 14 long years. And so she was the first person to tell me about that story, but then when I got to college, I was able to study it even more. And in that um, space as a student, I found that the date of the ceremony in Congress was actually my birthday, Aww. which I didn't know, right? I mean, in all the stories that she told, I, the dates, I just don't ever remember that. And then it, it just deepened my curiosity. Yeah. It deepened my curiosity to learn about IET, mm -hmm. but it also deepened my curiosity to learn about voodoo. Mm -hmm. uh, my parents themselves at that time when I was growing up, were not necessarily practitioners. They understood some of it and acknowledged it and had engaged in, in various uh, practices or traditions, maybe as children. Mm -hmm. But in my upbringing, my parents had decided to become Jehovah Witnesses, okay. which was very interesting. <laughs> Jehovah Witness and Haitian immigrant. <laughs> so, in that space, I... Um, I wanted to learn what what was good, mm -hmm. what was bad about voodoo. Mm -hmm. How could voodoo have been significant, have played a significant role in our independence, but yet is demonized by the world, right? Is the, it's, there's a huge misconception. The people who do know about it, I think, consider it um, not like a spiritual uh, or religious uh, religious um, entity. Uh, it's more. Uh, I, I I was doing research for this for this interview, and I was completely uh, taken with what it actually is because the misconceptions I've had uh, from movies, from from you know the things that I knew from what I read, it was more like black magic mm -hmm. as opposed to an actual religion practiced by people. Absolutely. So as an educator, yes. I, I ask you to educate us on what voodoo is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, and I, I, I want to take that term of black magic uh -huh. and I want to liberate it. Okay. I want to liberate it okay. and understanding that every culture has magic. Yeah. And so as a black person, if I have black magic, why would that be bad? It's interesting that you say that because... Um, 
the the way I, for example, understand black magic is uh, a magic that is used to harm others. Yes. And so, any religion I refuse to believe would be supporting this. Mm-hmm. So. What is your take on this? So for, for one of the things that we have to think about is we have to think about the history of words. Mm. We have to think about the mm. ways in which blackness and yeah. African has been used. Okay. Black is always considered to be bad. Mm. Right? So for instance, Black Friday, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well we just we can just add black to anything, and right? And it, and it becomes negative. negative. Yeah. Right? So in essence, I claim black magic mm-hmm. as a black person, that I have it. Black girl magic, which yeah. is a hashtag that's very popular. Why did that become popular? What is it? I, and bas- basically, the hashtag of black girl magic is basically claiming the space as a black person uh-huh. and, 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 black and refusing, uh-huh. refusing uh, the, the negative connotations of blackness, okay. um, empowering girl, and then embracing that unknown element which is considered to be magic. Hashtag black, black girl, girl magic. magic. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> and so in that space and in considering that, I mean, you can just look that up and you'll find everything and everybody is using it. I think even Michelle Obama, okay, has used the term black girl magic, okay. right? And so in that space, when we think about it, in, in reclaiming our blackness, uh-huh. we have to reclaim our blackness from those who have written and have told stories that have negated who we are. That's the reason why that I, I very much do this work as a photographer, as a filmmaker, as a writer, and as an educator, and as a researcher, because we continue to iterate yes. the same philosophies yeah. that negate... Yeah, we follow... Right? Right? And yeah. so in that consideration of what is black magic, black magic is that that is considered to be this, and then white magic is what? Is there such a thing? Yes. Actually, it's just... Yes. Magic, all right, yes. magic. <laughs> right, exactly, right? But but the part, but the putting of the black, black on it, yeah, right. Means, what does that speak to? Um, that, that's that's so interesting. I've never thought. Also, I mean, from I being raised uh, as an Ethiopian, mm-hmm. magic is like a no-no. Mm-hmm. You know, it's right. it's it's forbidden. It's mm-hmm. not something you practice at least openly it's mm-hmm. it's not done right. or it is done under the guise of uh some mm-hmm. religion right uh so it's it's for me even magic right regardless of whether it's black or white right or whatever it's is like a a, a, a no, no, no zone, no territory. No, it's 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 forbidden. Absolutely. So it's it's interesting though. I've never because of this, I've never actually thought about the differences. You know, black magic, white magic, magic yes. in general. Right, magic in general. And so for me, in the way that I interpret magic, magic is in essence to me has a similar definition to faith. Hmm. Faith, miracle. right? Yeah. That is what. That is that. That is in essence what it is, right? And 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 some people, of course, look at magic as the manifestation that someone can make magic or magic tricks. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. those types of things. Like it seems like it's this, but it's really not. It's yeah. only because you don't know, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But for me, when I think about the larger context of it, yeah. right, it is grounded in a space of faith and in miracles. And every religion, every spiritual tradition believes in miracles. Absolutely. Right? Because prayer within itself, prayer to an entity that we are not physically able to see, but we believe deep within our core exists. We have signs. 
whether other people believe it or not, we, right, as believers, know that there have been signs. Mm -hmm. There are stories that are told to us time and time again of this disciple, of this individual that had hardship, Mm -hmm. but staying the course, guess what? A miracle happened. That is the essence of the way that I see black magic. Black magic is a form of resistance against the forced ideology Mm -hmm. of white, I see it as inferiority, Mm -hmm. but it's really, some people would say it's a belief of supremacy, Mm -hmm. but really it isn't that, because if you have to push upon the world that you are supreme, then you're not. You're not. That's true. Right? You yeah. don't you don't it's like you don't you don't have to do that, right? You can be and we can be. Yeah. But that pushing, that pushing of one philosophy, that pushing, yeah. and that is what has happened to the continent of Africa and with that the dispersal mm-hmm. of Africans through the transatlantic slave trade. Thank you for bringing that up because that was also some of some something I was going to to move forward to because uh, we are celebrating this well commemorating yes. this year the 400th anniversary of the transatlantic slave trade and we have had um, uh, Bishop Claude Alexander from the U.S. Uh, from uh, Charlotte mm-hmm. uh, in uh, in the U.S. Uh, talking about the transatlantic slave trade uh, but if you can say a little bit again now. Sure. In relation to what we are going to talk about. Sure. So um, the transatlantic slave trade, and many people feel that uh, it's a misnomer because why put all of that on the Atlantic Ocean? The Atlantic Ocean had nothing to do with it, right? It's like, why am I involved in this story? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, how is it my fault? But anyway, I mean, basically, the transatlantic slave experience, or uh, really, it was based upon European greed, right? Mm-hmm. It began with the. They say that it began with the Portuguese, okay. 1619, is supposedly the first arrival of captured Africans um, to the Americas okay. in Virginia, right? Now, um, one thing that I think is important when we talk about the transatlantic slave trade is that. Many times in reading it, you will always hear the word slave, 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 slave. Mm -hmm. With that continued use of that word, we dehumanize people. Yeah. We We take exactly. We take away that very important element, and that is intentional. That's one thing I I do want to let you know as as a person that has studied this for quite some time. It is intentional. So for me, it is also intentional when I call those that were captured captured Africans, because that's what they were. Right? So it was against their and will. Exactly. Yeah. And they were prisoners of war because there were neighboring nations that were fighting against each other that would capture and then sell. sell. So they were prisoners of war. And most importantly, they were enslaved. Mm. Okay? They were not slaves in that sense. Yes, we could say that, oh, they were slaves. But in the sense of recognizing their humanity, let's be clear about the language that we use. And so due to European greed um, and... Uh, African um, duplicity, Mm -hmm. engagement Mm -hmm. uh, with West African nations, um, who had their own form of slavery, but they really had no idea what the Europeans were doing. They would sell them, and unfortunately, it was for things that were really of no significance. Tropes, okay, Mm -hmm. mirrors, guns, gunpowder, whatever it was that the West was bringing, Africans were falling for it. And I must say that it's still sad to see that repeated history, even in modern times. Mm -hmm. 
right? We have to be clear about our relationships, our negotiations of our country, our land, our space, our people, our people right? And that, and that we're not in a space of rushing to shift and shape to become other, right? Or for others. And so with that, the Portuguese, the Dutch, the Spaniards, the British, the French, uh, quite a few European nations were engaged with the West and specifically where my ancestors are from, they're from the region that was Daomey, that's known as Daomey, which is now Benin, and also Nigeria, right? And so with that, captured Africans were taken and forced onto ships, right? And they endured what was called the Middle Passage. And the Middle Passage is um, an experience that I've read about, but really very few have been really able to kind of document it in the sense of the fullness of what that experience was, where humans were put in or considered to be cargo, cargo yeah. right? To be cargo and were sh stuffed in inhumane conditions at the belly of the ship at the bottom. They were s stuck in the ship defecating in the space where they slept. Women were raped right in front of their countrymen or other strangers, yeah. right? Children were bearing witness to this. Children were ripped from their mothers, mm. right? Um, abusing, they also the rapes of men. It was not just women. Men and women were raped. If, and there were rebellions, I think it's important that we discuss that there were rebellions, and it was not only the Amistad ship, the right, right, this is the one that was made into yeah. Hollywood film, but there were many rebellions that took place, and some were successful, and many were not, and those that were rebellious were thrown over the ship and eaten by sharks, yeah. right, and so it's important to note that many of the Africans that were captured and, 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 and pushed off the priests and priestesses of those towns would say prayers over them and force them to encant that they would never return. Force them to say in ritual fashion and to be engaged in a type of spiritual uh, brainwashing that they would never return. Specifically in Daomey, they had to walk from a place that was known as the Place de Chacha, and they had to walk in chains, in mud, in rain, in scorching heat, right? Which I don't think you guys know about here in Addis. Yeah. Maybe in other parts of Ethiopia, <laughs> yeah, but not here, because it's, cool yeah, it's pretty cool here. But the scorching heat of West Africa, and they had to walk four miles, known as the Route de Esclave, the route of the slave, okay. right? And they had to walk from there and were taken onto, on canoes onto the ships. So if you can imagine the trauma that already existed for those captured Africans and then being put into those ships, then, not only then, on the ships, and for many of them, overwhelmed by the immensity of the ocean. Yeah. Because if you understand that many people that grow up inland don't have any the, idea what the ocean is. They don't know what yeah. the ocean is. They might know a lake, they might know a river. But the immensity of the ocean is within many mythologies, right? Many stories. It's very great and, and, and scary. So then, you know, the, the sickness that people feel on a ship, right? That's natural. You go on a cruise and you're getting a little seasick, right? No one cared. The, the, it was 
the ships were overloaded knowing that a certain percentage would die because they were just seen as cargo. And so from that experience, then landing in the Americas, landing in the Caribbean, and later being taken to Europe. But, for, but most, most of the intention was to go to the Caribbean and to North and South America and to work on plantations. The experience that Haitians had was under French rule. And the French had something called Le Code Noir, the Black Code. Within the Black Code were, were the rules that plantation owners, right, would use in, in managing their, their Africans. One of the first things that was on the list is that they were not allowed to practice their religion. Anyone caught practicing anything other than Catholicism could be publicly hung, could be whipped, could be castrated, um, could be burned bef before others. So the reason why this work for me, this investigation into voodoo is very significant because of the intentional dismantling of black people and with their culture. I, I want you to just consider for a moment being in this experience where not only have you been terrorized and torn from your family, your tradition, your culture, and your language, now you're put on a land where you're forced to work. You're forced to work very few hours of sleeping. In conditions, IET, the Caribbean, is very, very hot, yeah. right? In very bad conditions. And so the, the, the rate of, uh, in the sense of how long people lived, you know, like, people didn't live, you know, when we talk about someone living up to being 100, yeah. or someone a living lifespan, <laughs> right, not in that sense, because they were seen as just a commodity. Yeah. And so for me, the story of IET is significant. It's significant because it is the first free black republic in the Western Hemisphere. It is the first African state outside of Africa, because it was Africans who created IET. And so there is a connection, that resistance, that place in which people had to, had to fight. I uh, recently saw this very short clip. I think it was sent to me on WhatsApp. And it was about um, the Black Bible. Mm -hmm. And it said that it actually had fewer chapters mm -hmm. than... Mm -hmm. The Bible that we all know, yes, because it took out those verses and passages about fighting, about, about fighting, liberation, about, about yeah, exactly, mm. and even about um, uh, I, I forget the actual verse, but it took out a verse that said, "Thou shalt not." make someone else work without wages. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, I mean so so I mean when we think about this, I mean it's it's a it's a part it's very significant because what we have to understand is that no matter how we may think of others in, in the sense when we, when we think about like in the relation to voodoo and all these things that we're told about black magic and being bad and mm -hmm. it's the dark arts and mm -hmm. all these different types of things. We have to consider a place in which the religion that was handed to people was part of the oppression. That's what it, it was. Right? Right? Not only did you not practice what you believed, yes, it was also what, what was given to you instead 
was was not the the real deal. At least it, it was it, it wasn't the real deal, and it was specifically intended to keep yeah. Africans submissive, mm. to keep them in a submissive state. Mm. So that is one of the reasons why in the Haitian Revolution, that Black Bible, those ideas, those thoughts had to be thrown out. It's so interesting to me that despite it all, is uh, is how Haitians actually started fighting. It's because once something is given to you as religion and you you take it up as faith, yes. it is very difficult to fight it. Yes. And it's so interesting interesting to me that despite the Black Bible, yes. Haitians rose up against the conditions that Absolutely. they were in. But also I want you to consider if you were given a religion that was not maybe the religion of your parents, mm -hmm. but you were sitting in the lap of luxury from this religion, you mm -hmm. were benefiting, you felt good, then you would think, well, this God was is better than my parents' mm -hmm. God, mm -hmm. huh? in the yeah, sense yeah. of yeah. how we just the look at things, right? Live, the, yeah, right? And, and the reason why the revolt was full-bodied, mm -hmm. right? It was a full-bodied of mind, body, and spirit, so, yeah. was that they could see that this that you're giving me is bold. Okay, this is crap. Yeah. I, it's not, I cannot be in, I cannot continue to take your whip mm. and take your Bible. Exactly, yeah. And so part of that ceremony, Wakaiman, that took place in the woods, mm -hmm. it was a congress also. It was a calling of captains, leaders, soldiers from every part of the island and other islands. Bookman Dutti came from Jamaica. He was called Bookman because he always carried the Quran. Mm? Cecile Fatima was the head priestess, and they both were uh, in, 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 um, in positions of authority at this Congress. Mm -hmm. And in that time, there were promises that were made, and there were sacrifices. There was an imploring of those gods and those traditions that each of these nations came from. One of the reasons why many Haitians actually know where they came from is because of the survival in voodoo. How did it survive? It survived within the ceremonies that happened that these folks were, that were from over here that were from the Congo, mm -hmm. these that were over here that were from Daome, mm -hmm. their languages, the, the, the songs, so the, so the rites, so the community respected those traditions and the ceremonies had to include them. So the rhythms that were played on the drum, they knew this rhythm meant that now this is happening. This is happening. Yeah. So we can call the nations, many of them that they were, that we descended from. We know that we are from Guinea, that we are Igbo, that we are Congo, that we are um, Nago. We know because we can call those nations. Because within our spiritual tradition, we honored them. Voodoo, at, at its essence, it is about honoring those who came before. It is about honoring your ancestral tradition. It is not turning your back on your blackness. Mm -hmm. Though everything and everyone has told you that black is bad. Mm -hmm. Your skin is bad. Mm -hmm. Your hair is bad. Mm -hmm. Your lips, your backside. Mm -hmm. But yet today, everybody <laughs> wants a bigger booty, okay? <laughs> People are filling their lips with collagen, yeah. right? Yeah. Just an understanding like who we are. And so there's a place also in pride, that voodoo is also about pride. Whether you practice it or not, I don't have to practice it to be proud of it. I don't have to practice it to understand that this is my culture. This is a part of who I am. And this is a part of my liberation. And actually, it is only through voodoo that I and all of us descendants of IET could even return.
If it had not been for voodoo, I could not have this conversation with you today. I wouldn't be here, right? And so I, as, as a student in college, I just wanted to find out, well, what makes it good? What makes it bad? And what I found is that many people were looking at the negative actions of individuals in performing of, of bad juju or bad magic, right? Of, of taking that aspect which unfortunately exists around the world. I mean, to be quite honest, it exists everywhere. When you speak bad of your neighbor, when you use your mouth and you use the element of wind, right? A big part of what voodoo is is actually a connection to nature, right? And so understanding elemental magic, whether whether we understand that it is magic or not, or in the sense of manifestation, if the word magic is troubling, but in the sense that we are always using elements. When we light our candles and say our prayers, we are igniting our prayer with fire and onto something that is stable. And as that candle disintegrates Mm -hmm. and evaporates and moves now into air element, now our prayer is on the wind. It has moved from, from this static form of the candle when we go before our saints, when we go before the different deities that we call upon, right? And we say our prayers and we light the fire, which is like, this is our prayer, whether we're praying for somebody to get better or we're praying for a job or we're trying to get a house or whatever it is that we're dealing with. We are in a space of faith. We're in a space that this can happen. And it is simple as igniting a candle and releasing ourselves, our human selves, into a space of spiritual connection and allowing those deities, those saints, the God, the Almighty that we believe in to be a part of the manifestation of the miracle that we're asking for. And I feel like that would be easy enough to understand for any any religion, any person following any any faith. Absolutely. Uh, and it's it seems pretty common mm-hmm. in in most of the big religions that we yes. we know about. Mm-hmm. Um, is uh, uh, is uh, I I for for our listeners, uh, I have been uh, l- watching a, a movie that a small film that yes. you that you produced and directed. Yes. I think. Um, Brooklyn to Benin. Uh, Brooklyn to Benin, a voodoo pilgrimage. A voodoo pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. And um, first, tell us a little bit about that, and sure. I can ask some questions from. Absolutely. Uh, so, Brooklyn to Benin, a voodoo pilgrimage, is a manifestation of many years of studying the survival of voodoo. My question as an anthropologist, my question as a daughter of IET, my question as a as a great 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 granddaughter of Africa, mm-hmm. yeah, is what is this faith and how is it that though it faced oppression for over 400 years how did it survive against all odds against all odds against all the hollywood films mm-hmm. against all of the laws all the different things that have been created right people being killed i mean all types of things horror right mm-hmm. how did it survive and so brooklyn to benin looks at the survival of brooklyn, of, of voodoo in brooklyn 
uh, throughout the southern parts of the United States, going all the way into Belize. Mm -hmm. I, I did a road trip where I was traveling and investigating and, and went to New Orleans and looked at hoodoo, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so we'll looking and then returned to IT mm -hmm. and, and participated and, and witnessed different ceremonies that were taking place on in, in the country. Mm -hmm. And then from that space, returning to the mother, mm -hmm. which voodoo uh, in Benin is, is, is one of its traditional religions. And Benin is actually the only country on the continent of Africa that acknowledges their indigenous spiritual practices as an official religion, where banks are closed, schools are closed, and it's a paid holiday. Interesting. And right? what date is that? Is it January 10th. January 10th. January 10th. And why is January 10th significant? Well, like, what happened? Do we know? Um, that actual day of it being January 10th, I don't actually know. There are many ceremonies mm -hmm. that happen, you know, throughout uh, many voodoo ceremonies that happen throughout the year. Mm -hmm. That's the day that it was made into an official holiday. Okay. Yeah. Um, ben Noir might be able to tell you the better okay. reason <laughs> as to the depth of the, the reason for that date. Um, but with that, there are many voodoo festivals that happen, and many, many people from all over the world come to Benin mm -hmm. to bear witness. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did. And so my, so I was going to Benin after I had completed my investigations in Brooklyn and throughout America and all the way to IET, mm -hmm. and then I returned to bear witness to the voodoo uh, festival happening in Benin. Okay. And I was, I was intending to stay two or three months and ended up staying two years. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Yes. Yes. And, um, okay, so uh, for, for our listeners, uh, Brooklyn to Benin, a voodoo pilgrimage is on YouTube. You can, you can uh, watch it. It's, uh, it's very interesting. Uh, from that film, I, I want to ask a few questions. Mm -hmm. um, there are things in the, in, the, in, the, in the film, like, for example, you say, um, you know, um, Voodoo is about the connection with nature yes. and, you know, the deity we have within ourselves. Yes. Uh, but can Absolutely. you explain a little bit about that? So, you know, that there are many um, philosophies that exist in many religions that we are made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. that we are within ourselves a reflection of the Most High. Mm -hmm. So that is very much grounded in the philosophy within Voodoo. Oh, okay. Yes, that we too are made in the image of the Most High. Mm -hmm. That we can do good and we can do bad. That it is that we actually have been given choice. Right, that we can create and we can destroy. The same way that a cyclone can come and hit and devastate our brothers and sisters on the other side of the world. Mm -hmm. The same way that the earthquake came and, and, and destroyed and hundreds of thousands of people in IET died. There's also a place in which we can, we can imitate nature in being able to destroy and to create. And that is the choice that humans have. The understanding of the connection to nature is in essence understanding what nature is. Right? And understanding the water elements, understanding that, that we are both yin and yang, that we have the divine feminine and the divine masculine within ourselves. How we decide to use those elements. Are we a nurturing mother with our children or are we very harsh and demanding, right? What, what, where's the balance? At times it may have to be both, right? Yeah, you, know, yeah, I mean, yeah. it, we know, you know, the role of a mother is not just one way, right? And so in that sense, it's about that balance. One of the things that um, 
I know that I mentioned was that voodoo is an action plan. Is an action plan. That was going to be my next question. Yes. <laughs> so if there is such a thing, then it's, right. it's, it's awesome. <laughs> so it's an action plan in that there's a space in which we as humans turn to those who have, have decided to dedicate their life to this form of uh, belief. So whether we are going to the priest that are at our churches, that are at our temples or shrines, or you know others in other places, we turn to, to those that have higher connection, that basically are in a perpetual state of fasting, right? Mm -hmm. They're perpetually in the state of a meditation. So whereas for those of us that are living our lives on the daily, rushing here and there, oh, I forgot to send this text, oh, I gotta go to the bank, oh, I gotta pick up the baby from the daycare center, blah, 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 and we're doing all these things, that when we come in the company of those who are who are within that prayerful state, they can offer us counsel and wisdom, and that is in essence the wisdom that we receive from uh, the hugan or the mambo or the priest, is that they and they will let us know this is what needs to happen. So if we're told that we need to fast, if we're told fasting from different things, it's not necessarily just fasting from food, right? Fasting from particular association that we need to go and bathe in a particular river every day for one week, right? It is an action plan in that you are given solution. The reason why it was, uh, it was a religion that had to be suppressed is because within that space, there is a, there is, it's not per se just one of submission to the highest will, but also that as a human that you can take action in your own salvation. That you are not just someone that someone's going to come and save you. You are actively engaged in your own salvation. And that is one of the most significant differences. Is is that there is a belief in self. We are calling on Almighty. We understand that there is a place where our power is yeah. stops, yeah. right? Yeah. And that there is a greater power, power. Yeah. right? And so in that space, in that connection, that is the submission that we have. And in that we are fulfilling what we are told that we we need to do now in this space there are many people who are not practicing in goodwill Mm -hmm. and unfortunately that is happens all over the world there are many um people who are afraid of voodoo because all that they see are oh i don't know they just kill chickens and they (laughs) and there's just blood everywhere and there's this you know shrine with these things on it and they pour blood on it and this and that and I think to myself, you know, unfortunately what some people don't understand is that if you go to a kosher deli, what does that mean? Do you, do you know? I, uh, um, I, can, um, I can draw... Or, or halal. Halal. Okay. I can draw a parallel yes. in, in the sense that you, for halal meat, for example, or even like Ethiopians, for example, yes. there are some Christians who do not eat meat mm-hmm. in a Muslim household mm-hmm. only because the... The, the meat, uh, let's say the, the sheep was was killed by a Muslim person mm-hmm. and so was not blessed by a Christian. Yes. But the, it does not negate the fact that the meat is meat. Right. If, if that meat was killed by a Christian in a Muslim household, I, I don't think they would have any problems eating that. Right. In fact, with Ethiopians, one of the interesting cultures is that, for example, you have a big wedding mm-hmm. and, you know, the community is invited. You have Muslims, you have Christians, everybody is mm-hmm. there. And so if the person uh, that is 
hosting the wedding is a Muslim, then he would have a Christian neighbor come in and prepare the the Christian food. Yes. Uh, but mm-hmm. the the thing is, you're celebrating together. Yes. You're sitting together. You're Absolutely. eating. You're dining together. It's just the fact uh, that of tradition, the tradition yes. of of that section of yes. your community and making sure that they're comfortable in um, rejoicing with you. Absolutely. And so, so in essence, the fact does not the the, the sacrifice is there. It's just exactly. done by somebody else. Right. Exactly. That's that's really the whole point, right? So whether it's kosher or halal or whatever the names are, in essence what it means is that before the animal is killed, it is prayed over. And that is what happens within the voodoo tradition. That's it. That's it, folks. That's it. It's, it's, that's the same thing. Okay? So, be, But because of faith and people's traditions, and they say, well, I'm a Christian, I can only eat Christian blessed meat. I'm a, I'm a Muslim, I can only eat halal. Right, because what what we're invoking is that the prayers that are done over this animal are in fitting of with my faith, yes. and that is what voodoo in those sacrifices that we often see but are not explained, and that are often from a Western gaze, mm-hmm. and are um, demonized into some perversion of what someone else is thinking it is. The perversion of blood. Imagine any slaughterhouse is filled with blood. If I went into a, a place where the you know the the prayers are made before the slaughter, and that's all that I showed to the rest of the world about Ethiopia, yeah. how, what would the world think? Really, I mean, think about it. We, it, it for those of us, if the, for those of us that are carnivores, we've made that choice, and we understand that an animal was killed. Yeah. We wear our leather. We we enjoy it. We eat meat. We may fast or this and that, but. But yet, those images don't are not don't circulated yeah. all over the world, yeah. we right? Don't see them exactly, but they, do happen. But they happen. Yeah. And so what happens is you're looking at a culture that has been misappropriated, mm-hmm. that has stories that have been told that are not true, mm-hmm. because who's telling them? Not the always, people that are practicing. exactly. Always consider that. The same way that it is important for you as an Ethiopian to be here on this land and to have this position that you have and to speak your voice, yeah. that is empowering and significant and necessary. So how can it not be for the rest of the world? How can it not be that for Haitians or for the Beninois or for the Angolan or for those others whose stories have been taken and have been manipulated? Isn't it time that we tell our own story so that it can be finally known? And so that's the crux of my work, is that space in which we have to be active when we're thinking about what is social justice, what, why is this significant, why is sharing this narrative a part of cultural diversity, you know, what, why is this relevant? Because there are people around the world who are merely oppressed, they're oppressed merely based upon the concepts that someone else has told you. You've never seen it for yourself, but yet you can talk negatively about people all day but you've never met them or don't know their tradition. Yeah, that is true. Um, I want to go back to one thing you mentioned earlier, and that is hoodoo, mm-hmm. and how it relates or does not relate to voodoo, okay. and what it is, uh, what it's not, and, uh, and the spelling, of, uh, the yeah. spelling mm-hmm. of voodoo as well. Okay, so basically hoodoo is like the daughter of voodoo, Okay. right? And it's particular to the southern parts of the United States. With the influence of language, right, like in the sense of how things change, if you have any family members that live, uh, that are Ethiopian, but they live in the States, you start to find that they speak in an Amharic English, 
and everything gets mixed up and everybody over there can get it and understand it but once they come to Ethiopia they realize that they don't know as much as Amharic as they think they do or they use the wrong words of Amharic exactly. and unless you speak English you don't really understand what they're trying to say right so in essence when we think about the survival of culture culture transforms yes. because the one thing that is permanent is change change is the only permanent in the world and so in that it shifted, right? And so it became part, what survived in the South wasn't necessarily the reverence to the deities, mm -hmm. but the practice of solutions. Okay. So hoodoo is much more grounded in the solution that someone may have. If someone is concerned about a particular issue in their family or whatever, there may be solutions that are said, whether or not you believe them. If some people say, oh my God, what are you talking about? Go to the river, do this, do that, you know, those different types mm -hmm. of things. But that is part of the tradition. Mm -hmm. The other thing that's important is that voodoo, black spiritual traditions, are how most black people in the Americas survived slavery. Because within that tradition, there was also an understanding of herbs. Understanding of what salve to put on the body after the white European had beaten you so bad that you're almost close to death. Who came and healed you? Do you think that they sent the doctor? Do you think that anybody cared about you as a black person? You were a commodity. You were just that. If you died, they'd just go get another. But who cared for you were the herbalists, those that understood. And so with that understanding, it can also be misused. In that understanding, that study of alchemy, right? Nature. It's, it nature. Comes, all comes back to nature. All comes down to nature. And also, and also want us to consider the space in which how did people who came to a land that they did not know did not necessarily know those herbs or plants. How did they survive? A big part of that is because they received wisdom and counsel in their dreams. In their dreams, their ancestors would speak to them. Someone is going into labor. The, who, who, who's, who's the midwife? It's the elder woman. It's her that has to keep the knowledge that has been passed on from generations. The languages are being spoken and invoked. Prayers are being made. And many people say, I don't know what she said. I don't know what the old woman said. But every time I have a baby, she goes and she blesses the baby. This, the, the significance of voodoo and black spirit traditions in America is significant in, in that all black people descended from those that were, had their hands in there, had their hands in there and helped them to survive the cruelty of slavery, the cruelty of Jim Crow, the cruelty of, in places that we were not allowed. If you can think that there are still places around the world where a black person cannot enter, a black per body is seen as a threat. Who cares for you? Who loves you? Who's going to make sure that you are all right? So the tea that you drink, the salve that's put on your body for the traditions of women and after having labor and wrapping the woman, all these traditions, do you think it was European women who came and said, well, this is what you do? Who do you think did that? Who, who cared? And that's, I think, is also the crux of how voodoo survived. That is. And it is basically what the reason why voodoo survived is, is about love. Mm -hmm. At the core, at whatever it is that you may think because of the stories that you've been told and because also people have done negative things 
with it. But the, what's interesting to me is that you can have these stories about voodoo and black magic, quote, right? And people are afraid of it, but yet you have global powers that can drop bombs and you don't see that as, as a threat. But yet we can talk about voodoo and be afraid of voodoo, but yet you're not concerned about this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You have your priorities out of order, my friend. Because what we're talking about is neighbor against neighbor. We're talking about small things. Let me know. Tell me. You know, at the core, of course, we had to pull on that history, that tradition. We had to call on all those spirits to be able to push forward for our independence. Right? And so in that space... After our independence, people then could decide, oh, I want to be Catholic, or I want to be this. Haiti has every single religion in the world there. And yet, who's oppressed in IET today are the voodooism. Really? Because you have the Protestant, you have the Catholic, you have everybody around the world, and everybody around the world is telling you that this is bad. After the earthquake in Haiti, you have, you know, a religious leader saying, oh, Haiti, that happened to Haiti because it was cursed, because they made a pact with the devil. They made a pact with the devil for their independence. Yes, you could just look it up. This is what was said after the earthquake in Haiti. You had religious leaders around the world saying that this was what Haiti deserved because Haiti fought for its independence. One last thing I want to ask you about is the Wawawa Diaspora Center. Yes. Uh, you started that. Yes. What is it and why? Okay, so the Wawawa Diaspora Center um, was created while I was in Benin, my, in my unexpected two years of living in West <laughs> Africa. And Wa is a fun word, fun, F-O-N, a language spoken in, um, in West Africa, in Benin, and Togo, mostly in Benin. Um, and it means come. So it basically means come, 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 diaspora. And part of the work that the intention of the Wawa Diaspora Center is specifically to address the healing Mm. from the trauma of the transatlantic experience, Mm. slave experience, specifically catered to the black descendants because there's trauma on all sides. It's not just black people who are traumatized by this. Europeans are also traumatized by it with a false sense of superiority. They're also traumatized by it by their inability to have compassion and understanding. The fact that enslaved people had to fight for their freedom and then after that have to endure Jim Crow, and I'm talking about specifically the Americas because that's where I lived, right? And, and had to continue to deal with places in which they were not allowed to move in society. They were not allowed to vote. They were not allowed to become fully engaged individuals. The Constitution of the United States listed blacks as three-fifth human beings. That is in the law. I'm not making this up. <laughs> okay, so I'm not talking shit here. Okay, if I don't, if I don't, sorry, I'm not talking crap. This is in the laws of the country. So if you have that within the law of the country, what is in the psychology of the individual? Dr. Joy DeGray wrote this book called Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome. And what she talks about is the, po- the trauma that exists, not only for those that have black and brown skin, but for those on the other side, because it affected everyone. For me, my work is centered on the healing for those to come and to break the spell. Because it was a spell. The words that we cast when we say black is bad, that's a spell that you've cast. 
whether you believe in magic or not, every single time that you talk negatively about your neighbor, you're casting a spell. Every time that you praise them, every time you're, you're, you know your faith, that's, that's a positive, right? Energy. Yeah. Energy, positive energy. And so for me, part of the healing from this 400 years of trauma is to return to the land and to make peace for those ancestors that were taken against their will, to light candles for them. I, I said that was going to be my last question, but I was really interested when we were talking earlier about the Barracoon, the yes. last cargo. Yes. So I want to talk a little bit about that, Absolutely. what it is, and how it came about. Okay, so uh, Zora Neale Hurston, as I mentioned earlier, my spiritual godmother, um, her last one of her last books was The Barracoon, The Last Black Cargo. Uh, it was refused uh, to get printed. Uh, by, uh, I think it was it, I think it's printed now by Viking Press. Um, and basically, uh, the story of the bl last black cargo of Barracoon is of Kojo Kuzula Lewis, who was a captured African in 1860. And I'll just go back a little bit. So the law in, in, in the United States in 1807 prohibited the importation of captured Africans. That was the law that meant, okay, we still have slavery, but we can no longer bring any more uh, black people. We can't bring any more people and enslave them. That was the law, and it was like, okay, we're going to stop. Because the movement that was happening at that time was for now toward abolition, toward the ending. It was kind of, you know, now, even though it was Christians, it would, they were all Christians who were engaged in the slave trade. I just want you to know they called themselves Christians, but their actions were unchristlike. Okay, so they were Christians. Mm -hmm. and, but there were others who now began to see, and they visited, some of them, maybe pastors or people who started to go to these plantations and started to see, wait a minute, I was wrong. Like, this isn't right. And so some of the movement that started happening for on, the, on the end of, on the part of the West, mm -hmm. but I have to say that there was always a movement of liberation amongst captured people. Yeah. Yeah, I, as it may, I, 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 always. Yeah, with okay. The, with, but the, the oppression existed. Exactly. But there was a sort of a, a turning of the tide. Exactly, okay. in the sense of for the West. For the West. But okay. for, as captured Africans, we always knew, okay, as black people, that it was never right. Of course. But like, <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, so y'all, it has taken y'all a long damn time to come to this realization, okay? But we, feeling the brunt of this, we knew from the beginning it wasn't right. But now, hundreds of years later, Later. So, so what happened was that this law in 1807 was enacted, but there were many people that were continuing to break the law. And the government was very slack in persecuting. Okay, they just, I mean, really, to be quite honest, there were so many things going on. They, you know, they might take them to court, they might not. So, Meherd, a wealthy uh, owner, plantation owner in Mobile, Alabama, who was actually from uh, I believe he was from Massachusetts or he was from the north and he had moved down to Alabama he placed a bet mm -hmm. that he could bring continue to bring slaves without repercussions without although his, it was illegal. exactly even okay. though it was illegal okay. and so he had a ship built mm -hmm. he hired a captain Captain Foster mm -hmm. to go and to sail to Ouida and Ouida was still the place if you can imagine 1860 Wida, Benin, still engaged in the slave trade. Still. 
and sent a ship, a small ship, and it wasn't typically made in the size okay of, 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 of the transatlantic slave trade trips which had a very big belly yeah. right because the bottom of the, the ship hold. is yeah. the hole right so this ship was was made in a way that it was actually considered to be one of the best and fastest of the time okay very well made captain foster goes to Wida, meets with the king and purchases 110 people one of those persons was kojo kazula lewis and he was brought to the United States in 1860 as a young man. Okay. Zora Neale Hurston. 1807 to 1860, still. Exactly, okay. still the import of captured Africans against their will, breaking the law. Now, Meher was brought up against charges, but it was thrown out because they couldn't find proof, because they burned the ship. National Geographic last year said that they thought that they had found, that it was an article in National Geographic, you can look it up, that they think that they had found the remains of the Clotilde. Wow. The, the, the name of the ship was the Clotilda, right? And so this ship brought 110 Africans that were immediately privately sold off to landowners, right? Yeah. So Meher is also making money from that. Yeah. Now he's hush, selling hush, off, hush, hush. They burn the ship. In the, in the Bay of Mobile, uh -huh. Mobile yeah. Bay, they burn the ship, and then they kind of go on with their lives. Five years later, emancipation comes for enslaved people. So five years later, Kojo Kuzula Lewis is a, free, is a free man. He's a free man, but he's a free man in a community of blacks who hate themselves. Black people oppress of hundreds of years of slavery that they themselves do not understand who they are. Mm -hmm. And so the blacks in the community that he's in see him as the African, as savages. Call him and his children, uh, you, 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 you're not Christian, then you're not, God, you're not a God-fearing man. You can't live with this woman, you didn't get married in the church. And he says, well, my African way, the way that we get married is we do this. This is how we. But he didn't want to be he didn't want to be in a place where he was in division with his community. Mm -hmm. So he joined the church. Assimilated. Yes. So part of the process was to be able to survive and to be in community is a certain level of assimilation. assimilation yes. Compromise. But, right, and compromise. But within that space he also was very clear that he was a proud African. And so it, it's a story that speaks to the experience that many Af continental Africans have upon arriving in America and the disconnect that exists between Africans on the continent who have descended from the transatlantic slave trade and those that are new immigrants coming in feeling like they want to be able to come and live in America. There are stories that are told to those Africans about the African Americans mm -hmm. and then there are stories that are told to the African Americans about the continental Africans. And, and until we begin to have conversations and openness and really begin to understand each other's history, then what we do is we continue to inflict wounds and deepen the trauma and the lack of trust that exists. Against each other. Against each other. And then who wins from that? Who wins from that when we can't really look at each other and see that we're all connected? We're all connected in the human, in, in the human experience, right? But... But this thing called blackness, this thing that is often maligned as negative, mm -hmm. there's a tremendous work that needs to be done in reshifting and opening up ourselves and being able to see ourselves as, as, as gods on earth. We're made in the image of God, so why should we be bad? Why, why, right? why, is, why is blackness bad? There's a video of Muhammad Ali 
that I love, right? And he basically is sitting with an interviewer and he's talking about, and he was like, he's like, he's like, you know, I always used to ask my mother, why, why is everything good white, you know? Like, why is this and everything bad black, you know? Like, you know, and he just started going into it. You can find it online. And, and really what he was speaking to in, in this very eloquent way is that the part of the reason why the world loved Muhammad Ali and and stood with him when he was facing all the tribulation when he decided not to go and fight in the yes. Vietnam War yeah. is because he was very proud of himself. And he didn't push back who he was to be accepted by the larger uh, Western society. And in that space, I feel Ethiopia also stands in that way. Ethiopia stands very much on the vanguard of a shift that's happening in Africa, a shift that's happening in the sense of consciousness and awareness Right? And so that, that's a movement. It's a movement that needs to keep growing. Yeah. Moving it forward. And this is where Wawa Wa Diaspora Center also comes. Exactly. To, to continue in this, this conversation. Yes. Exactly. Um, anything else you want to highlight for me before we sign off? Okay. Uh, let's see. For our audience. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping you. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, uh, so there's, there's, yeah, there's a, I don't know. I would say, well, one thing I would say is that if you use Instagram or social media, you can find me on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. uh, Regine Romaine. Um, you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook. My website, my website is regineromaine.com. Uh, and, um, and I've, I'm not sure. I haven't given up. I'd love to still be able to show my two films mm -hmm. here in Benin while I'm here. Um, but I would just love the to... The films from Benin? Yeah. At yeah. the Addis Film Yeah, festival. or there or, or elsewhere. Or I'm not yeah. sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> but, you know, I, I wasn't even aware of the film festival, but I'm like, I want to show my work. How can I wait? Ah! You know, um, but I just, I just want to say that I think that, the, that we're in a space of transformation at this time. We're in a space of transformation. It's important that we take our stand as we look at what's happening around the world, whether we're looking from the Sudan or we're looking wherever. Mm -hmm. It is important to recognize the voice of the people. And the voice of the people is deeply entrenched also within our culture. It's important to recognize the voice of women. Women are, in, are significant because they are the first teacher. And if we continue to not allow women to move into their rightful place as leaders, then our countries continue to be underdeveloped. So what I encourage us as Africans and as people in the diaspora to consider is how do we love our women and how do we celebrate our blackness and how are we promoting and, and pushing forward this movement of, of justice, of reparations, and from that space we can then move into peace. But first, we have to be able to embrace that with justice, there must come reparations. And from that space, we'll be able to move into peace. Thank you. So I wish it was not just an hour that we had. <laughs> Thank you so very much for being on Real Talk USA. Thank you for allowing me. And I realize that this talk may not have been talk that you were expecting. But it's real talk. It's real talk. It's real talk, folks. It's real talk. Hashtag real talk. Hashtag real talk. And hashtag... Black Girl Magic. That's it, exactly. <laughs> Hashtag Black Girl Magic. Peace and blessings to you all. Uh, I, I think this, I came at a wonderful time of Easter. Yeah. And so may that spirit of being reborn ignite all of us to move forward in love and in light.
Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Real Talk USA, uh, brought to you by the U.S. Mission to the African Union. Uh, have a great evening, everyone. Real Talk USA. It's my house. Come on, turn it up. The hour where the U.S. Mission to the African Union comes to you through AfroFM 105.3 to highlight the United States partnership in Africa. Current issues will be discussed. Guests will engage on a variety of topics ranging from politics to jazz. Co-hosted by AfroFM and Chris Mead of USAU. The show will air every Thursday from 5 to 6 p.m. Feel free to participate by sending messages to the USAU social media sites www.usau.usmission.gov or www www.facebook.com forward slash USAU and follow USAU on twitter.com forward slash USAU Real Talk USA It's my house <laughs>